the 13th of July, 2006, episode 38. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Rookie Designer is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. So we're going to do things a little bit differently on this Rookie Designer. I'm going to be taking you on somewhat of a sound seeing tour, although I'm not the one that recorded the sound seeing tour, but we're going to get some of the sounds, not sights, from Macworld 2006, and this is something that I got from Peach Pit, Peach Pit Press, and uh, I'll let you in on that when we get going here. Short on time? Check out the One Minute Tip, a collection of short podcasted tips, interviews, quick starts, and videos covering the technologies we use every day. A great little podcast to wedge between the minutes of your busy day. Check out the One Minute Tip at www.oneminutetip.com. Before we get started, I just want to touch on a couple of things. First of which, uh, if you've been a listener for a long time, you probably remember in the old days I used to talk about how you could hear the planes. And I guess nobody could really ever hear them. But I just wanted to point out that if you've watched the quick tips for this week, you probably noticed a couple of airplanes in the background. So I am not crazy. There are airplanes flying over our house. Just thought I'd point that out. Anyways, a, a couple of pieces of news. First of all, the there's an article, there's a couple of blog posts that I put up on the website. So hopefully you go there. And also I've I've updated the website before, it was kind of hard to see where the links were. It was almost the same color as the regular type. So I've now changed that. So you should be able to see them. So hopefully if you go to the website, that'll help you out. And hopefully you do go to the website. So I'm not just wasting my time up there. But I put up a couple of blog posts. The first one is about Adobe Creative Suite number three. And it actually has been, it was demonstrated in for Macworld, Macworld UK. And... Uh, they're estimating that it's going to be out in the second quarter of 2007. So, of course, that would be like April and on, somewhere in that area. So, somewhere in those three months, hopefully, we'll get our Adobe Creative Suite 3. And that's the one that's supposed to play nice with the new Universal, with the new Universal systems, I guess you would say. That would work good on both the PowerPC Macs and the uh, Intel Macintosh. Uh, the next piece of news is Quark. Express 7.01 Universal Binary Beta is available. And uh, this is, I think this is the second beta test that they're doing for the Universal, which again is for the, basically for the Intel Macintosh to make sure it works well with those. Uh, another beta test, so if you have an Intel Mac or if you have any kind of Mac, it works on it. And if you want to do some beta testing, maybe give them some feedback about that. You can go download that now. Just go to the website, rookiedesigner.com slash rookie, and you'll see those blog posts in there right underneath this one. And there are some links in there to go to the different articles or to go download the Quark Express 7. Other things, the, uh, the podcast awards are still going on. You can still nominate us for uh, about three days, depending on when you hear this. It ends on July 15th, which is another Saturday. 
So if you haven't nominated the show for Education Award, please do so if you think we're worthy, or even if you don't. Uh, if you have a couple minutes, just go up there and nominate us. I've sent instructions to pretty much everybody, through either through a show or through uh, MySpace or through the forum. So hopefully you've seen and you know how to do it, and that's not what's keeping you from doing it. Other than that, uh, so as I said today, we're going to do something a little bit different. What I did, I sent away for this package. It's called Meeting in a Box, and I got it from Peach Pit Press, which was in our bullpen last week. That's at peachpit.com. And like I said, they make a lot of books and things of that nature, but I think this is something relatively new. So it's a DVD, and you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to get this DVD, and you take it, and you show it to a group of people. So the group of people that I actually got it for was my podcast podcasters meetup group. We have a San Diego podcasters meetup, which I've only been to once, but I got it with the intention of showing it to them. I got it. I watched it and I felt it was really more geared towards what we do here. So, and I thought about actually putting the whole video, just making it so that it would fit, you know, fit your iPod and putting it up on the quick tips website. But then I thought it might be a better way to do it this way. It's not going to appeal to everyone because there are some Macintosh things. Obviously, it's from, actually, did I say that? Yeah, it's from Macworld 2006. So there's a lot of Mac-related stuff. But on this video, there's actually stuff for iPods, which I'm sure many PC users have. Uh, we're also going to take a look at some of the stuff from InDesign and also styling with CSS, so cascading style sheets in web pages. So there is some good stuff for everyone. I'm, I am going to leave out some of the stuff that was on like iMovie or specifically for Final Cut Pro, uh, mainly on that one because it's all just screenshots and they're going through and kind of teaching you how to do stuff. So I can always take care of that on Quick Tips. But I was also kind of worried because I don't necessarily have uh, permission to be putting this up. So I thought that also might be a good way to just put up the audio and maybe stay below the radar. But I thought this was good info, and I wanted to share it with everyone. Those of you who haven't been to a Macworld, uh, I include myself in that. It's pretty cool. There's some very cool stuff going on just on the expo floor, which is, I don't know, maybe 25 30 bucks I think, to get into the expo. Uh, the thing that costs a whole lot of money is they have lots of classes going on at that time, too. But as you'll see, there's a lot of little demonstrations and classes going on just on the expo floor, and that's what we're going to take a look at. So this thing might be kind of choppy. I'm going to be I'm just using Audio Hijack Pro to grab the sound off the DVD and to talk at the same time. If there's something that I, I feel needs a little bit explaining, I'm just going to stop it and jump in and, and start talking. But it's pretty much going to be live on my end anyways. Probably obviously isn't going to be live for you. But again, I thought this was was valuable. So let's get started. Hello, this is Gary Paul Prince, the promotions manager at Peach Pit Press, and this is Macworld in a Box, an inside peek to Macworld Expo 2006 in San Francisco, California. One, two, three, four. So again, I'm just going to be taking a look at a couple of different things on this DVD, the things that I thought were worthy of showing. And I am jumping around here, so I gotta kind of work the menu a little bit. 
The first selection I'm going to play for you is by a guy named Christopher Breen. And just by the way, all these guys, yeah, they're all guys. All these guys that I'm going to be playing for you are authors of books, some some kind of tutorial book or tip book. And of course, all those books are output by Peach Pit Press. So that's why this whole thing is packaged the way it is. His book that he wrote is called iPod and iTunes Pocket Guide. So this is going to be some info on the iPod. So the first thing you do is you charge the thing up fully, and then you flip on the hold switch. If you don't know where the hold switch is, look at the top. At the top is this little hold switch. When you see orange, that means the hold switch is on. The reason you turn the hold switch, is on, hold switch on, because if you put it in your pocket or your backpack or your purse and you bump it, it starts playing for nobody. And eight hours later, you go, oh, I really want to hear that song, and my, and my battery's dead because it's been playing for eight hours for nobody. And you've burned up a charge for no reason at all. So flip on the hold switch. Keep it warm. Inside this thing is a lithium-ion battery. The physics of lithium-ion batteries is they're more efficient when they are warm. Not hot, but warm. Use files of 9 megabytes or less. And this is new to this session, usually. The reason you do this is because inside every iPod, except one, there's a 32 megabyte SD RAM chip. This is where the iPod stores its music. On an iPod with a hard drive in it, the hard drive spins up and delivers the music to the SD RAM chip. Then the hard drive spins down. That spinning up part is what uses up your battery charge. If you're using big files, it has to hit the hard drive more often to feed that SD RAM chip. Right? So less hard drive access, the better. Now, the usually bit is in here because there are now flash-based iPods. The iPod Nano is now using flash memory. There is no hard drive to spin up. However, Apple still says, use this 9 megabyte thing or else. I need to talk to somebody about this because I'm not sure how that works with flash. The other thing is, is that the, this particular iPod, which is the 60 gigabyte iPod, 5G iPod, has a 64 megabyte SD RAM chip in it. So it should seem that it can store files that are larger and still hit up the hard drive as often. However, Apple says, no, 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 you get much better battery life out of these things, and the reason you do is because there's a bigger SD RAM chip. So files of less than 9 megabytes are going to get the optimal amount of storage on here. I'm going to tell you how to get those files that small at some point. Lay off the buttons. The best way to get the best battery life out of your iPod is to hit play and walk away. Don't touch it. Lay off the EQ and sound check. When you use equalization and sound check, that too uses up more battery power. In essence, have no fun with your iPod whatsoever. Play music and leave it alone. Okay, so how do you shift your iTunes library? Well, the first thing you do is you create a new location for music files. For example, you put it on an external hard drive. And it looks like this. All right, I'm gonna fade that part out because he starts going into more stuff about how to change where your iTunes files are stored on your computer and all that. And of course, that would be mostly for, well, he's telling how to do it on a Mac. So it's going to be different on a PC and probably not everybody uses iTunes either. So we're just going to stop that one there. But some pretty useful information, a couple of things that I didn't know about the iPod, about how to use it and how to maximize your use of it. And something just happened here. Actually got kicked out of my 
DVD player. You're also going to notice that it's kind of choppy when I play it. They've kind of chopped up what these people are saying, and then I'm chopping it up too. So it's like, I guess you would say it's diced in the end, but uh, we're going to try and get through it anyways. The next one I'm going to play for you is by a guy named David Blattner. And if you listen to the InDesign Secrets podcast, you'll recognize this guy. He is half of the host team for that podcast. It's a very, very good podcast. So if you use InDesign, I've, I've recommended it before, but I will again. If you don't listen to it and you use InDesign, then you're making a big mistake. You really need to check that podcast out because it's very, very good. Um, and actually, I'll make that our bullpen entry for this week, even though it's already in the bullpen, I think. But they've redone their whole website. They have great resources up there. They have places where you can go get scripts, where you can uh, get tips. that they, You can actually mail in tips, and they put some of them on the website if they think they're good enough tips. But you can always email them just about everything. I had people up on our forum actually ask me questions before that I didn't know the answer to. So I sent it off to them, actually particularly David Blattner. And he answered them within a day. So they're usually pretty good if you're stuck on something. And uh, actually, I would say just go to them first. But if you find something that, that maybe you didn't know and you think others could benefit from, maybe post the answer up on in the InDesign folder on the forums as well so that everybody else can learn. But this guy's going to go through a couple of things in InDesign. And I thought this was a very good one to play. So let's check it out. Let me point out a couple things about this, this PSD file that I brought in. First of all, it's a PSD file, right? So it's native Photoshop. Second of all, this does not have a clipping path. Let me go into, oh, there we go. High quality display. There's no clipping path here. One of my favorite things about InDesign is it understands transparency in TIFF and PSD files and PDF and whatever else, whatever other file format. I'm just going to stop right here and tell you what he's talking about because he has a screen up. He's in a layout and he has a picture of a plane that's just set over the top of some type that he imported from Photoshop. And of course, he's talking about the transparency. Uh, his Photoshop image, he kind of masked out this plane so that there's just transparency behind it. Before there was like blue skies behind it, but he got rid of that and there's just transparency and he brought it into InDesign that way. So that'll kind of explain what he's talking about in this next part. It understands the transparency right out of the box. So if I place this image on top of this text, it doesn't need a clipping path. And it not only does not need a clipping path, but I don't know if you can see this well up there, but it actually anti-aliases into the vector text perfectly. So this raster image, this, this image from Photoshop that had a transparency in Photoshop, it just rasterizes right in. Let me go look at that image in Photoshop so you can see what I'm talking about. Do, 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 do. Oh, sorry. Uh, there we are in InDesign. If you um, option double click, little shortcut in InDesign, option double click in, in InDesign launches the original program, which is in this case Photoshop, and it opens the image for me. Let me stop it right there and go over that a little bit. Uh, that can actually be our keys to the game key command. What he did is he had his image in the frame in InDesign, and he option double clicked on that image, and what it did is it brought it. It opened up that image in Photoshop. Uh, it was because it was a Photoshop image. So if you did that on something that was made in Illustrator, then of course it would open it up in Illustrator. But just an easier way to open it up in the editor, uh, again, is option and double click on the picture frame. And I can see 
the checkerboard background, that just means that it's transparent. There's no clipping path here, I don't think. Oh, there is a clipping path, but it's not, a, it's not actually used. Believe me, it's not in use, but there was a path there that I used. I think, I think I just used that to draw, and then I erased to transparency. So it's just transparency. Now, how did I make the transparency in Photoshop? I don't like erasing, because when you erase something in, in Photoshop, you can't really get it back again. So instead, this is a little Photoshop trick. This has nothing to do with uh, InDesign per se, but uh, instead of erasing, I use layer masks. Masks are like masking tape. You know when, you, when you're painting a house or you're, you're painting on a window, you put masking tape down and you paint, 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 but where there's a mask, where there's masking tape, the paint doesn't go, right? That's the same concept with Photoshop digital masking. Digital masking is all about putting down an area where, where nothing you do is going to be affected. In this case, you can see down here, that little black thumbnail here, yeah, let me zoom back here to show you, I'll just show it to you. Come on, show you the mask, there we go. So I made a mask, which is basically the black parts here, the black parts here are, are masking out part of the image itself. So I turn that back on and you can see that that is the image that's really there. That's the image I got from Boeing that's the image after I apply my layer mask. So I haven't actually erased anything. I've just added a mask to mask out part of the image. And that turns out to be very useful because I can do things like, well, maybe I masked out too much. And I can say, well, let's go ahead and lose my cursor. Let's, uh, cursor, cursor, come back, please. Um, I can actually go back and paint in some of this image if I want to. So masking is very handy because you can add in and remove stuff very very quickly. I'm going to undo that. Um, and instead, I'm going to say, you know what? Um, I actually want to have the whole, whole image. Let me see how that looks in my layout. So I'm doing my InDesign layout, and I'm playing around with stuff. How does it look with that background? All I do is just save that command S, go back to InDesign, and I can see that it's voila. Voila. I can see that exactly nothing happened whatsoever. Why did nothing happen here? Uh, turn this on, turn that on, save, come back here. Oh, there we go. It just needed a little nudge. It was slow. But in this case, we can say, great, my layout. Eh, I don't like the way that looks either. Now, this thing that he's about to talk about is something that I've gone over in Quick Tips before. It's a way to just stay in InDesign and actually turn layers on and off from that application instead of having to go back to either Illustrator or Photoshop and do it there. So uh, I think he shows you how to do that right here. Now I, I could go ahead and start turning on and off layers as well. In, I could go back to Photoshop and turn on a layer, go to InDesign and turn off a layer, and, you know, and so on. But what's nice is I can actually do that work in InDesign itself. And in, this is a CS2 trick. In CS2, I can select this PSD file that has layers I can go to the object menu and say object layer options. And I can now, right from within my layout, say, you know what, let's turn on the status there. Remember, oh, there's a preview checkbox. I'm not going, I'm just gonna click okay. But in general, I would turn on the preview checkbox. I've turned on a layer without having to go to Photoshop first. I didn't even have to have Photoshop running. And we can see the terrible fate of the Sonic Cruiser that it got canceled. It's sad, it's sad but true. Now, object styles is another feature in CS2 which lets me uh, make a style about object formatting. So in this case, I've got a, a, some object. Oh, I know why, where I was going with all this. I've, here, I've got a drop shadow on this, and I'll say, give me a, uh, a corner effect. So I'll make the 
corners rounded by a lot, and you can see that. So now I've got rounded corners, and you can see that drop shadow is updated automatically. Let's go ahead and put a, a frame around this, a frame of, let's make it magenta and really big. Um, I did mention I'm not a designer, right? So I can get away with doing any kind of horrible design I want. On this one, he's looking at a picture frame in InDesign, and he basically just styled it. He put corners on it, he put a shadow on it, and he put a stroke around the frame. And basically what he's gonna do with this is create an object style so that all you have to do is click on other picture frames and then click one button, and then it puts that exact same style on it. And it's a good way to format pictures if they're all gonna look the same, if they're all gonna have a similar frame like that. So I've got a magenta frame with a drop shadow, rounded corners, very quick, easy. Now I want to apply all of that to here, but I also want to apply it to 55 other objects throughout my document. So how am I going to do that? Well, I could use the eyedropper tool to move that formatting from one to the other, or even better, I can use the object styles palette, which is missing in action here. How about do to do do to do to do Object styles. I can use object styles from the window menu, and I can create an object style from this object itself. I'll option click. If you just click when you make a style, I find this very annoying about InDesign. But in InDesign, <coughs> I don't work for Adobe, so I'm allowed to say things that, like, like uh, this is really annoying. Um, one of the things that's really annoying is if you just click the new style button, uh, it, doesn't, it makes a new style, but it doesn't even let you uh, give it a name or edit it in any way. So instead, I always option click. Option click will force InDesign to open the dialog box where I can give it a name, like my happy name, whatever you want to call it. Um, note that because I had an object selected, all of that object formatting got sucked up into this dialog box. So it knows that, for example, this object style should have a drop shadow and rounded corners and so on and so on. Click OK, and I'll apply it to that. And then I'll come over here and I'll say, gosh, I really wish I had all of the same formatting as that. Boom, right? So very, very handy. So applying a bunch of formatting to an object all at one go is one of the great reasons why you want to use styles. Another reason why you want to use object styles is that you can edit those. Like I'll edit this in one place. Again, we're, we're pretending that I've just applied this 100-page document. On every page, there's one of these styles. And now I can say, you know what? I really wish that stroke weren't magenta. I really wish that it were green instead. So I'll choose green, and I'll say, you know, I don't want that. Do, 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 corner effect to be rounded. I really wish it were something even uglier. And click OK, and we can see that, boom, immediately throughout the entire document, all of those things change. So very, very powerful object styles, brilliant way to really boost your efficiency in CS2, because you can create a style just like you would create a paragraph style. You make an object style. Very, very handy. So there's all kinds of things you can do with, uh, with InDesign. I'm forever doing this. I've just applied a red stroke when I meant to apply a red fill. Fortunately, there's a shortcut for everything. In this case, I want a shortcut to swap those things. And indeed, there is the X key. By the way, every tool in the tool palette has its own keyboard shortcut. So if I want the selection tool, I hit V, right? And not Command V, but which would be paste, right? V jumps you there. Or A gives me the selection tool. Or P gives me the pen tool. So you know, whichever ones you use most often, you remember those keyboard shortcuts. But these things down here, remember, have keyboard shortcuts too. Like the swap, f swap the uh, 
which is on top. The X key swaps. Right now, the stroke is on top, so if I apply a color, I'm going to be applying it to the stroke. If I hit X, now the fill is on top, so if I make a color, apply a color, it's going to apply it to the fill. Shift X. Shift X is my friend because Shift X, whenever I apply something to the fill that I meant to apply to the stroke, Shift X just reverses them. It just takes the color from one and applies it to the other. Those are the little sh little keyboard shortcuts, which are just it just makes everything go a little bit more smoothly. So now I've made a starburst with a color behind it, um, which is all very well and good. Is there anything else I wanted to talk about there? Oh, probably. So definitely some very good information in that. Uh, David Blattner is really one of my favorite presenters these days. I listen to his podcast religiously, and it's very good. Again, that is called uh, InDesign Secrets, and you can find that at InDesignSecrets.com. Again, we're going to put that website in the bullpen again. So if you want to find that, just go to the Rookie Designer website. But some very good tips, and you'll find tons of good tips like that on that podcast as well. He pointed out another very good key command. That was Shift X. Uh, if you accidentally put a color in the fill that you meant to be on the stroke of an object, just press Shift X and it'll change it right over for you. So a very good one there. His books that he had up there were InDesign CS and CS2 Breakthroughs, as well as Photoshop CS and CS2 Breakthroughs. The next one I'm going to play for you is a guy named Charles, Charles Wyke Smith, and his book is called Stylin' with CSS. So, of course, this is going to be all about CSS or cascading style sheets and using it in your web pages. Let's take a look at this little snip of code from the Microsoft website that I took when I wrote the book. So, this is probably the end of December in 2004. As you can see, there's quite a bit of markup here. This markup is responsible for the areas in the two bars here. Just before he gets into too much depth here, I've said it before, but if you don't know, CSS is usually used to cut down on code. Basically, you're defining styles for everything in all of your web pages, either at the top of your one web page or in a separate document that all your HTML pages go and source to. And this makes it easier too because you can just change that one document and it actually changes the styles in every single web page that's linked to that. So it works much in the way that the same thing that we were just seeing with the object styles that David Blattner was talking about, uh, it does the same kind of thing. It really, it really puts your styles all in one place so that it makes it easier to make adjustments to that. And also if you work in code, if you hand code at all, it's a great help because it takes a bunch of the, the junk out of there and really cleans it up so you can see what you're doing better. Okay, it's a lot of stuff. And just to give you an idea, the bolded text in there is the actual content. And, and this is what we're up against, okay? That we're burying the information inside our web pages in a great deal of presentational markup that really shouldn't be there. And the place it belongs is in your CSS style sheets. The key to the whole thing, as I've mentioned several times, is separating the actual content of your website from its presentation, okay? And um, one of the big moves towards that has been the introduction of XHTML, which is a reformulation of HTML using 
XML standards, which is, as you know, may, may or may not know, is a structure for marking up documents to make them portable, and not only uh, make them portable, but also identify what the actual pieces of content are. So you can make a tag called Rockstar and put Bono in it. It's not just a paragraph tag anymore. The tags itself identify the nature of the content. And that's really the huge breakthrough that XML has given us. So XHTML focuses only on structure. We don't care what the page looks like. We're going to mark it up. This is a heading. This is a paragraph. This is a list. That's all we need to do when we actually mark up the page, OK? And we start using doc types for backward compatibility. And doc types tell the browser what, um, how this code has been written. I won't get into this in a big way, but if you have a web page and it doesn't begin with the word doc type, then it needs to be updated and brought into the future. And again, rather than get into the excruciating details here, chapter one of this book covers why you need to get the right doc types in your book, in your, in your pages, and let, let the browser know what kind of content you're presenting to it. There are new stricter markup rules. In the old days, you could just put a paragraph tag at the beginning of a paragraph and just start another one with another paragraph tag. But now, you have to close paragraphs correctly. An image tag has to be closed. A tag that doesn't have content inside of it needs to be closed with a slash at the end so that XML can interpret it correctly and know where the pieces of content begin. Again, there's about 10 simple rules, not for, for, for building my website. and. Um, they are in here, and you can look at them. But they're, they're a little stricter, and they make sure that your website is correctly interpreted by today's browsers. Cascading style sheets provide contextual styling for XHTML. And I'll talk about what contextual specifically means later. But the idea is that you can style individual areas of your page with great accuracy from CSS and have multiple different paragraph styles on the same page, for example, because CSS allows you to target different areas of your page with different styles. The link tag um, connects a style sheet, which is just an external file, to your web pages. And the beauty of that is you can connect a single style sheet to a million web pages and control the presentation of all those pages from a single style sheet. Instead of having all those styles redundantly embedded in every single page, OK? So there's real power to link style sheets. And um, an interesting thing is you can also define a style sheet for each application for which you are using the content. So you have one markup of your structural content in XHTML. And then you can say, and if you go to a handheld device, use this style sheet. And if you go to a web browser, use this one, OK? So with the CSS, you're able to set up a number of style sheets for the different environments in which your content might be seen. Make sense? Okay, here's a very simple page. It has no styles of any kind, okay? And if I actually show you the, um, mar the uh, markup for this page, this is rather small, but I hope you can see this okay. Um, the first thing that you notice is the tags that, that tell you what each item is, a heading, a paragraph, or whatever, have no associated attributes inside them. There are no font tags. There are no nothing. It simply is a tag around that content that says, I'm a heading, I'm a paragraph, I'm a list, whatever I might be. Okay? And so it's very simple to mark up your content in this kind of a way. Here we have a list. We say, here's an ordered list and a number of list items inside it. Here's a link, and so on and so on. And when you look at that page, it looks like this. 
If we apply some simple styles to this page, then we can make it look like this. Okay. So all I've done here is simply um, apply some very simple styles that have taken that raw content and given it just a better look here. Um, this is quite a simple example. It's one of the first ones in the book, but it gives you an idea of how um, this markup can be styled with CSS. So again, right there, he was just showing, first of all, a page that had absolutely no attributes to it. Usually you would put some kind of font tags to say what kind of font, what color, what size, all that kind of stuff. And then just by attaching the CSS file to it, everything now has a style. But again, you don't have all that clutter in your HTML code. You just have whatever is in the CSS document. And again, you can go and change that document to change all the web pages all at once. So what we've done here is inside of a style tag, we've included a number of styles. And the basic idea is we can say how each element in our markup should be styled. So here's a paragraph. Its font size is 0.75 of an M. Its line height is 1.5. So now we're opening up the lines, the line spacing to twice the height of the type. There's a text indent on the, on the first line of the paragraph. And it has margins on it that bring it in from the edge of the page. And if I just slide that over a second, you can see on this paragraph that here's the indent. Notice it's a negative number. So the first line, instead of being indented, is outdented, if you will, and, and so on. And so you, if you just look at this, you can see how this type, this, um, this line of CSS applies to the paragraph there. So this kind of um, styling is very simple. At the moment, I've got it in a style tag within just this single page. But when you do this in the real world, the idea is you make a separate style sheet and link it to the page so that you can link multiple pages to the style sheet, and they can all share these styles. If you decide your, your body copy is too small, then you can go into one style sheet, and you make the adjustment to the font size here, and that ripples out through every page on your site instantly. OK, let's get into some more fun stuff. Here is a list. Now, on this one, this stuff is pretty cool. He's actually just making like a regular list, an unordered list into some navigation that actually has rollovers and looks actually pleasing to the eye. And this is something, if, you, uh, if you're a member of lynda.com or if you want to go buy the, the DVDs for the training on Dreamweaver, and I'll actually put a link in that in the show notes, because these, the, these are the Dreamweaver trainings that I actually took. I'm pretty new to Dreamweaver. And this was one of the things that I actually showed you how to do, is make just a regular unordered list into either a horizontal or a vertical navigation that's very nice looking, has rollovers, and works very good. And the key to this thing is if for some reason somebody's on an older browser or something like that and they don't see the styling, then those links are still going to be there because it's just an unordered list. Uh, the problem with using images is they're not going to see those images. If something doesn't load right, they won't see them and they're not going to be able to use your navigation. So that's one of the, the big pluses of doing it this way. Okay. I always mark up I always mark up site navigation as lists. All menus and site navigation. And really they are. They're a list of places you can go on the site. So 
from a usability point of view, it makes perfect sense. If the style sheet is not presented to the user, as is the case here, this is still workable. This is still a totally navigatable item, even if it's not styled. But by applying a few CSS styles to it, we can quickly turn it into a horizontal menu, complete with highlighting rollovers. Okay, I'll show you here that the list is, here's the um, CSS that makes that happen. And as you can see down at the bottom, the list is still just a list. And if this looks like a lot of CSS here, it's not really. But the fact is that this CSS can be applied to every list on the website that I want to look like that. Okay, I can give it a unique ID. I call it list menu. And any, any unordered list that I apply, that I put a div around that's called list menu will immediately turn into this. Okay. Live from San Francisco, California at the Macworld Expo and Conference in San... Blah, 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 blah. One more time. What did you think was the coolest thing here at the show? Man, well, they had the whole studio setup of uh, the actual Star Wars uh, production. And so that was pretty cool. They had the whole uh, presentation and everything like that. So I actually got hands-on, you know, with some of the equipment. That was nice. Overall, the show, uh, from the first, my first experience uh, to now, um, it's great. It keeps getting better and better. Get a chance to, you know, pick up on some of the stuff nobody got me for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> There's an Apple store nearby. Buy one. Now. Go. Just go. Remember, remember the first tip. The first tip I did this morning, for those of you who weren't here, very important tip. When you're working for maximum efficiency, do not work in front of a group of people while sitting at a podium. That's the key, because everything goes wrong, basically. How many? Oh, 20? 20,000 songs? Did you buy all those songs? Okay, good. Honest man. We can't put that on the video, Sarah. I want you to listen to me. Don't put that on the video. See, don't ever ask for honesty, folks. You might get what you want, the one here. Exactly. Have you been finding what you needed here at the Peach Pit booth? Uh, found more than I thought I would find. Hi, I'm here with Heather Howard from Zablocki Printing. How are you doing, Heather? Good. Excellent. What do you think about the Macworld Expo? Overwhelming. <laughs> Anything in particular that you saw that you're crazy about? or? Well, I came here to look at specific things. So at this point, I've just been going through and looking at the specific programs and the specific things that I was looking for, because otherwise it's maddening in here. <laughs> and what do you think of uh, all the new books here in the Peach Pit booth? They look really great. I'm, I'm looking at buying a whole bunch of new uh, different programs, so I'm going to have to figure out how to use them all. So. Right on. Do you have a lot of our books on your bookshelf at home? Yes, I do. <laughs> What we have here are specialized neoprene sleeves just for your All right, so the end of that is he's just talking to a bunch of people on the expo floor, and they go into a couple of product things, so I'm not going to include that on there. Again, if you want to hear more stuff like this or see more of it, then you're just going to have to go to the Macworld Expo, and those are usually held, I believe, in January or February, so the next one will be in 2007, and they are always in San Francisco. So again, I don't, I want to, I'd like to share more of it with you, but I'm not even technically authorized to be playing this over a podcast. So I'm going to try and not get myself into trouble. Uh, I am going to be putting links to all of the books that were mentioned 
uh, actually all of them that were mentioned on the DVD. Some of them I didn't cover in this podcast, but I'll be putting up all the authors' names and the books with links so that you can go buy them if you want to, or maybe just check them, check them out. And again, remember that everything is through Peach Pit Press. So you just go to peachpit.com. That in that is again in the bullpen from last week, and you can find very, very good deals there. But you might be able to find even better deals because with this package, the meeting in a box, they actually gave me a couple of other things. So I got some stuff to give away. And the first thing is they gave me a couple of books. It says upgrading to Mac OS X 10.4 Tiger. So if you are a Mac user and you do not use Tiger yet, maybe use one of the older versions, maybe you're still on uh, OS 9, then I have two books for for the taking. All you have to do is send me a, an email, adam at rookiedesigner.com, and just send me an email that says, I want the book. And the first two people that send those in will get these books. I'll send them out to you. The other thing that I got, let's see how many there are here. They're little like membership cards. So I have 10 of these. I have 10 of these and they have like a little member user group number and little member benefits things. I'm not sure if this is any different than just joining at the website, but if you want one of these membership cards, then just send me an email and say, I want the card. And the first 10 people that send me that will get these. And it says that you can save up to 35%. So, I'm not sure if that's any different than just joining on the website because you can get a savings from just being a member off of the website. But if you want one of those, just let me know, adam at rickydesigner.com, and I will send one of those off to you. That's about it. Uh, I wanted to share those couple of pieces. Hopefully this was helpful for you or at least showed you what it's like to be at a Macworld uh, conference. And maybe you'll try and get there in the future to see some more of this good stuff. Uh, Again, the usual stuff, you can contact me, again, adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can Skype me at username titanstrides. You can call the call-in line, 619-573-4043, and leave a message for me that way. You can go to myspace.com slash rookiedesigner, become my friend. Or you can go to the Rookie Designer forums, rookiedesigner.com slash forum, and join up there and talk to everybody, which is a great thing to do. Anything else? Uh, Again, if you want to vote for me for the podcast awards, podcastawards.com. Give me your nomination up until the 15th, which is this Saturday. After that, hopefully we'll be in the running still, and I'll be asking for more more votes. Uh, While you're in the voting mood, maybe just go up to the, the website there and give me your vote for Podcast Alley as well. We're actually doing pretty good, even without me asking too much, but we can always use more votes. All right, that's about it for this one. I'll talk to you next time, and just remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star.